This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. So the uh, the tragic number for the Montreal Canadiens remains at number one. They stave off official elimination last night with a uh, shootout victory over the Buffalo Sabres. Michael Pozzetta with the goal and the snaz and uh, the stick ride a la Tiger Williams, 1980, uh, right down Main Street. Real nice touch. Eric Engels from Sportsnet.ca joins me now. Covers the Montreal Canadiens. And uh, first of all, Eric, good afternoon. Thanks as always for stopping by. Um, you know, really interesting piece uh, that you've written about what means what at this time of year for certain Montreal Canadiens players. As you go game to game here, and this, you know, tragic number is marching towards uh, an inevitability that we all know is on the horizon. Um, who's trying to do what for whom at this point of the season for the Habs? Well, first of all, good afternoon. Second of all, really funky intro. I kind of like it. And uh, yeah, man. Third, third. I think that tragic number was at one, like the day the season started. I mean, nobody expected that the Canadians <laughs> going to make the playoffs, and they set the expectation that yeah. we're not even trying to. Um, but you get to ten games left, or nine games left, or whatever it is now, eight games left, and people assume that you know it doesn't matter. They'll take a performance like the one that Mike Matheson has been offering over the last 30 games and say, well, we'll see what happens when the pressure's on. Like if you don't think that every game these guys play means a lot to them and that they're not trying to win it every time they step on the ice, like it's, it's just kind of, I don't know the word for it. It's, it's, it's wrong. Like it's not, it's not the way they think about it and therefore it shouldn't be the way you think about it. Um, I understand that the result doesn't mean anything other than draft lottery odds being, you know, implicated. But think about Alex Belzo. Like this guy's 31 years old. He's given his first kind of long stretch yep. of road to prove that he can play in the NHL. And I have Canadians fans clapping back at me and saying, well, is he going to be a part of the team next year? Maybe not but maybe he'll be a part of an NHL team because there's scouts at these games trying to fill out their rosters at every turn. And what he's proven as a fourth liner scoring 14 points in 28 games and minimal ice time is that he's an NHL player. And like, he's never gotten the chance to really prove that before. So he's playing for something. And this means a ton to him. Mike Pizzetta, who had this incredible moment that you saw last night, played 625 in the game. He's been a pretty useful player throughout the season, which started with him being scratched for 13 to 15 games. If you want to tell him that last night's game against Buffalo didn't matter, go right ahead. But I think my point is what it is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's um, it's an interesting time for the Montreal Canadiens. I think one of the things that we had always wondered about, um, I mean, let me, let me coach it this way. The Montreal Canadiens are a heritage hockey team, and there is a pride that comes along with that organization. And there had always been an expectation that came along with this organization, and there had always been a feeling that Montreal Canadiens fans and or Montreal Canadiens media, both English and French, wouldn't stand for a rebuild. And we've said that about other markets and been proven wrong. And now we're learning that about Montreal as well. The key being, um, as long as you're honest with your fan base, they'll understand and they'll still support. Um, Ditto for media as well. Now, it's only really been the one season here so far. 
I think that you know different fans have different thresholds for understanding as teams rebuild. But before I ask you about the uh, the key players here off the ice, um, how have Montreal Canadiens fans? Because you're right there. How have Montreal Canadiens fans been through all of this year one of the rebuild? I guess I always find these questions the hardest to answer because are we taking Twitter as the ultimate litmus test or representative sample of no, what we see? No, you know? no, so we're not, right? no, 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 and yet, no. And yet I think what Twitter is kind of revealing and the sentiment that I get largely for the fan base is that they are absolutely accepting of the direction this team is taking it. And, and you know, they're lucky that they don't have to set the precedent. They're lucky that there was Toronto before them, who everybody thought nobody would accept that uh, after years of misery and mediocre, mediocrity. But they decided we got to do this a different way and we're going to have to make it happen. That the Rangers went through the same process and had a much more earnest kind of open letter approach. Um, the Canadians didn't feel the need to write a letter to their fans, but Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon set the expectations quite appropriately from the start here that this would take time, that what they were angling to do was you know, build a team that can win on a sustainable basis versus one that will compete year after year um, and then make the playoffs and anything can happen, which was, you know, the entire Bergevin regime signed up, uh, summed up by one sentence. Um, man, it does help when you have Marty St. Louis, though. Like, this team mm-hmm. is fifth from the bottom and the amount of positive that has emanated from this season in terms of individual development, in terms of development of culture, uh, style of print and brand, which were the main objectives of this Canadian season, has kept the butts in the seats and had them standing up at the Bell Centre and doing a wave like they were doing against, you know, not only against Columbus in an 8-2 win, but in losses this season where they were down in the third period and just the fan support has been incredible. So Mm -hmm. I think you can do this in a market like this, but you better do it the right way by a managing expectations and by B proving that with the results, not expected, what is still expected is those other things get built out. And man, I mean, like start speaking to some players around the league who are willing to talk about it. And what I guarantee you, there's a lot of them that are paying attention to what's happening with Marty St. Louis and the development staff, of the Montreal Canadians and a lot more players that would yep. be willing to come to this market than there were a year ago. You know, the interesting thing about all of that, I'm glad you got me there, Eric, because the interesting thing to me is, and I don't know what this is going to mean for the marketplace. I don't know what this is going to mean for future hires. All that I know is this is, and most sports are, uh, but this is very much a copycat league. And you have um, a coach with no previous to Montreal, NHL coaching experience, head coaching experience. And you have a general manager who has previous to this, no general manager experience at the NHL. You have uh, an ex-player, a Hall of Famer, mind you, but an ex-player who's, you know, coached, you know, 13, 14-year-olds, albeit at a high level, but still. And you have a very successful agent who's now the general manager of the Montreal Canadiens. You have, you know, two of the key positions. Now, I know above all of them, Jeff Gordon exists, and he has plenty of experience. And, you know, look at, you know, the foundation you built for teams, not just like the Rangers, but the Boston Bruins as well. But essentially, you have two of the key power players here in their first full season, in their new job. Essentially, you have two rookies steering the ship, not of an expansion team, but 
of the Montreal Canadiens. I'm still stunned at at all of this. I mean, this just sort of flies in the face of every stereotype I've had about Montreal and what you need and the steady hand on the wheel and the veteran experience and ghosts of the forum and all of that. What we're seeing in Montreal flies in the face of all of it. Now, I know they're around the bottom and I know they're in the, you know, the, the Connor Bedard conversation, et cetera. But still, there's a direction and fans see it and everybody sees it. And it's being run by two people in their positions with zero previous experience. I'm stunned. Eric, are you? Well, you're stunned because it's going well, despite what their record is and the fact that they have, you know, the most man games lost of the last two seasons concurrent. Um, yeah. And like they've had as many as 12 regulars out on a, since basically 20 games into the season, uh, pretty much the whole way through. And I mean, look, look at it on an individual basis. Okay. Ken Hughes. Just look at two trades. Uh, Kirby Doc. Are you kidding me? Like yeah. this trade is, uh, it's it's become a a bit of a joke around Montreal about how that trade got made. I, I mean, the fans look at Ken Hughes take a position of strength in the left side of their defense, trade a prospect in Alexander Romanov who was proving to be a top four defenseman, and mm-hmm. be perfectly okay with doing it, and and end up trading the thirteenth and sixty sixth pick in the draft for a guy who was drafted third overall, six foot four, two hundred and twelve pounds, and was on the cusp of becoming a dominant player if, if he's put in the right position. And so that's one, uh, the Mike Matheson for Jeff Petrie trade. I mean, okay. So that's Hughes. Name me a player who's gotten worse under Marty St. Louis. Find one. Like, is there one that you can make an argument uh, that, Oh, this guy hasn't looked as good before Marty St. Louis was here. <laughs> like, I think you'd well, have a really, that, really hard it, it, time. It, it's a great point, and you know what I'm curious about? Um, because I think you're right. Like, Marty St. Louis has made a lot of these players better. Uh, you know, I, uh, I, I can Not argue, just the young I think ones. you could, too. He's made all these players better. Not just the young ones, either. Here, here's, the, here's the mystery to me, and if he can get through to him, and if this can, quote-unquote, work for the Montreal Canadiens, because we know if you unlock this box, there could be a real special player in there if he can get the best out of Dennis Gurianov and Dallas waited and waited and waited and there were flashes and sometimes it looked fantastic. He's got some of the fastest feet in the NHL. If he can just put all of it together finally, then that trade looks like an absolute fleecing. That to me is the next big challenge for Martin St. Louis. Can he get to Dennis Gurianov? Because if he can, Look out! This guy has a well. You know, Eric. This guy has yeah. a skill set that is elite. But can he put it together? And can San Louis wave the the Marty magic wand over him here? Yeah, I'd say two things to that. One is that he's already gotten to him. He already looks better than he did in Dallas. That's that's a victory in itself. That's not to say he doesn't have a really far way to go. Because when you ask San Louis what the toolkit is beyond the shot and the speed he struggles to find an answer. And that's the same reason why he fell out of favor in Dallas and why he was traded for Afghani Dadnov and essentially thrown away. And probably why, even though he has improved with the Canadians, that $2.9 million qualifying offer is probably not coming his way. Will it be a deal that he accepts that's under that value? 
or will he test himself on the market where I don't think the money would be there for him? We're going to find out in short order. But I would say that he has already tapped into the box a little bit to make it look a little shinier. And Mm -hmm. as far as him realizing his potential and becoming the player he actually can be, most of that will be up to him. But I don't have much doubt based on the sample I've seen with Martin St. Louis and virtually every other player he's worked with that he will make him better, and he already has. So, you know, that's really the barometer. Can he get him to be the best version of himself? That would be tremendous for the Canadians. It would be like found money because the last thing I think they're going to try to do in this rebuild is fill out the wings. It's typically the easiest thing to do with a little bit of money or some trade assets and some younger players that you can inevitably move on from. But if you found one at that age that you can qualify underneath that $2.9 million salary, which I think is is inevitable no matter where Gurionov plays next year, and he becomes a better player and a better and a better and a better player, well, that would be something, especially for what they gave up to get him, which is essentially Shea Weber's contract. Let me ask you, I mean, this is a, we all know about the history and the challenges and let me just ask you point blank. No question attached to it. I'm just going to fire a name out at you and you tell me what you think. Jonathan Drouin. I think he's going to continue his career somewhere else, but he's going to have the opportunity to continue it. He's been pretty much a point per game player over the last 25, 26 games. And um, anybody, you know, that's the beauty of the scouts in this game. They do watch with some objectivity. I think, you know, Jonathan Drouin will be a victim no matter what to what his reputation is. And his reputation has been earned to a degree. You know, if people want to suggest that, he hasn't put his whole heart into it at times. He's guilty. If they want to suggest that, oh, you know, there's been some injury situations that, you know, you wonder, like, is it really that bad? Can he get back out there? Maybe he's guilty. Um, you know, his mental engagement or willing physical engagement on a night-to-night basis, has he been guilty of not having it? Yes. But the scouts who are objective, who watch the hockey every single game and don't base their decisions on five games or 20 games, but a really large sample, have to take into account what he's shown this season. And, and yeah, he's not scoring the goals, but, man, he's filling up the categories, making elite plays all over mm-hmm. the ice. And he has put an honest effort in. I, I give Jonathan Durant credit, and it's a really frustrating thing as a Canadian reporter to give Jonathan Durant credit because every time I do – I have all kinds of people coming at me and saying, well, he's a dog and he's this and that. Just be objective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we, we, I had no issues criticizing Drouin when he deserved that criticism. But when he's playing well, you could at least admit when he's playing well. And he has done that for a while. And Martin St. Louis is not just pumping his tires just for the sake of it. Like he is being genuine and earnest in his own evaluation saying, this guy is giving us what he has to give us and it's helping. And I think there's a team out there that will really benefit from picking up this player at will, what will be a real bargain cost because of his reputation. But he still has more to prove. And the one thing I'll add is that I asked him around the deadline, Jeff. I said, John, yep. some people might think that you may not have the passion to continue with this. And he said, no, I love this more than, than ever before, and I'll do it for as long as people will allow me to. So there's your answer. Fingers crossed uh, for John Drouin. Uh, Eric, always good, man. Always full value. We'll catch up soon. Take care, Jeff.
Eric Engels uh, from Sportsnet covering the Montreal Canadiens. The tragic numbers still exist at one for the Habs. Staved it off yesterday. Uh, hour two is coming up here in a couple of moments. Greg Wyshynski from ESPN. Normally we do this on Wednesdays, but eh, we're doing it on Tuesday this week. Scheduling conflicts and such. Get smarter when you listen to Hockey Talk, the Hockey PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Let's uh, let's get to random player here quick before we get to this uh, Adam Copeland interview. I'm kind of doing this freestyle here, Maddie. By the way, do we have time for both? How are we for time? Uh, if we do, if we do, if we do the random player quickly, we can do it. Let's do it. What do we got today? Uh, it's a d- former WHL defenseman, uh, one of the one of the best offensive defensemen that you never really heard of. Uh, that would be Greg yeah. Hoggood. And this one submitted by, as I just pull up my lineup here, I think it's Tim Griffin. I think that sent it in. Yes, Tim, Tim Griffin. Griffin. Okay, so Greg Hoggood. Um, left shot D, smallish. Um, eight NHL teams. Let me read them off to you. Drafted by Boston, by the way, in the 10th round. Uh, Boston, Edmonton, Philly, Florida, Pittsburgh, San Jose, Vancouver, and Dallas. Uh, 14-year pro, peppered in their stints in the uh, IHL and the AHL, where he was defenseman of the year in both. One of the great stories, um, you mentioned junior hockey sensation. When he played with the Kamloops Blazers, real strong team. Uh, Ken Hitchcock was the coach. 1986 was a famous story. Uh, That Blazers team that year went 49-19-4. Greg Hoggett had 119 points. Rob Brown, the legend, had 173. So they used to do nine-game series. Not five-game series, not best two out of three, but nine-game series. And game four of a best of nine against Seattle, um, Seattle's winning 7-0. Okay? And they bring out in the intermission a car. They do some promotion with a car. They bring the car out onto the rink. The car breaks down. So it takes a while to get the car off the ice, and that gives Cam Loops and Ken Hitchcock more time to regroup. And as they're getting the car off the ice, what you can hear in the Cam Loops dressing room is, because everyone thinks that they're going to win and there's going to be another game, Seattle's organization starting to announce tickets going on sale for another game, which infuriates the Cam Loops Blazers, who might have been the best team in the CHL that year, although they didn't win the Memorial Cup. And they come out and just pitchfork. Seattle win the game, win the series, uh, go on to defeat Portland and, and Medicine Hat, and they, they go on to the Memorial Cup, which that year was in Portland. Um, I believe Guelph won that one. Jacques Martin was coaching. Gary Roberts would have been the star uh, on that team. He was in a couple of big world junior tournaments. Uh, the Punch-Up in Piastani in 1987 um, was the best defenseman in Canadian junior hockey in 1988. Um, and here's why I, I texted one of his former teammates and Maddie, you'll love this answer. And you're right. Like Greg Hoggett was a very skilled, although smallish defenseman. Um, I said, what can you tell me about Greg Hoggett? And this is from one of his former teammates. He was the smartest, fastest, most mobile, most skilled out of shape defenseman there ever was. <laughs> I love it. The smartest, fastest, most mobile, skilled, out-of-shape defenseman there ever was. Won a Turner Cup, by the way, 
with the Houston Arrows. Greg Hoggood, today's random player of the day to nominate yours. Uh, JM show at sportsnet.ca. Do you have anything to color that in with? Well, the fact that he had three straight 100 point seasons as a defenseman in the WHL is yeah, something to be yeah, that that's not something that's to gloss player. over. Like and he had and he had over 100 good penalty player. minutes in the last two seasons. So, yeah, super, super impressive career. And he was very good in the playoffs as yeah. well. Yeah, outstanding. OK, um, who was that that sent that in again real quick? If you have your schedule, up, that was there. Tim Griffin. Tim Griffin, thank you so much uh, for nominating Greg Hoggood today. All right, Maddie, what are we going to listen to here? This is you in conversation with Adam Copeland. Um, set us up. Give us the context. Give us a preview before we hear the piece with Edge. Uh, it was a lot of fun to do. Firstly, he's a class act and uh, very, very gracious with his time. Uh, we talked about a lot of things, his wrestling career. We talked about uh, Humber College, go Hawks. Uh, and we also talked about the Toronto <laughs> Maple Leafs, and that's what we'll leave you with here. The okay, so this is Adam Copeland. Edge. They made a bunch of moves at the deadline. Um, yeah. Where, where does your? How much do you get to watch them? Like you're busy. You've got again. You've got your girls. You've got. They've got schedules. You know. You're on the road. You know, a couple days out of the week. How often do you get to watch them? Haven't missed a game this year. I, oh, you're uh, good. I always make sure. Um, I, I have my my Nord VPN. <laughs> So <laughs> wherever <laughs> I am, I can catch the Canadian feed. And I, I got to because, man, trying to watch those TNT feeds or, or ESPN, like, wow. So um, I always make sure I, and I'll watch it on delay and I won't fast forward. I'll watch the game. I'll avoid social media and because I, I want to watch it. And uh, it's one of the things that, like, makes the road passable for me because it's like okay i got these long flights but i get in i'll get to the hotel i'll put on the least game and and that it sounds kind of sad but i i will look forward to it that entire day and that's kind of my my cap to the night it's like okay i'm gonna sit down and watch the leafs though and and part of that is because it just takes me back to watching them with my grandpa and all my uncles and uh, watching watching them with my mom, you know, it it brings me back to all of that, and a lot of them are gone now. So, it really, really just fosters those, just those memories that it, it's more than hockey, you know. And I think a lot of people listening will understand that it is hockey, but it also becomes more than that. And and a lot of people that aren't Canadian might not fully, fully understand that, but it's so ingrained in our DNA and our culture. It's I guess what football would be down here, what baseball used to be. Yeah, you can't you can't shake it. You gave me chills just talking about that because I, I feel the exact same way. The the sound yeah. of Bob Cole and Harry Neal on Saturday oh. night was what I grew up with, and and just gives me chills. Now with, with the current group, um, they made a lot of moves at the deadline, and it does kind of feel like it's not quite make or break, but it, it's really put up or shut up time. GM goes out and makes all the moves, and they're they put themselves in a spot to contend for a, a Stanley Cup championship. What would a Stanley Cup victory mean for you? Oh, my God. I mean, um, it would be – I mean, Beth would be able to tell you. Just, just the sheer joy that that would bring. You know, and again, thinking back to, like, uh, you know, my grandpa and, and my uncle and my mom and watching it with all of them and just how tickled they'd be if that happened, you know. And, I mean, it talked about pressure. I mean, that this this team – 
is under such scrutiny and such a spotlight that no other team is, maybe Montreal. But um, it, it's, uh, gosh, I mean, you would have so many people that just, I mean, personally, okay, the last time I went, it was 67, right? I wasn't even born. So, like, I'm almost 50. And, man, you start to think, is this going to happen in my lifetime? Like, I think it can because I, I truly feel like he – man, Kyle stuck with that core and, and that core is amazing, you know, and we're starting to see it now that they've truly become men, you know, it's not just, it's not just a bunch of young guys. I think Matt Martin was saying the other day on one of the shows, you know, like they were kids when he played on the team and now they're bonafide superstars. And now that you've added like more grit, um, you know, we're going to see it, it takes time to gel. You get that many players into the trade deadline there's going to be some, some hiccups and some growing pains, I think. Um, you know, it, it, you know, it all boils down to health too. Yeah. And I, uh, but man, I got my fingers, toes, eyes, whatever I can cross. I got them crossed. Hmm. That's uh edge from WWE. Uh, Adam Copeland, um, grew up in Orangeville, Ontario, Dale Howard truck country for all you hockey fans. Um, how cool was that talking to uh Copeland, Maddie? Oh, it was the best. And and I will say at the beginning of the interview, I, I asked him about his, when he won his first tag titles was WrestleMania in back in 2000. And I met him like two weeks before yeah. that. And I, I said, my, we're watching it. They win the titles. And my dad goes, I knew he was going to win. He told me. And I, for the longest time I went, I don't think that that actually happened. So I asked him, I said, this is what my dad said. And I know he's not telling the truth, but I need you to tell me he wasn't telling the truth, basically. <laughs> and he said he wasn't telling the truth because he's like, I didn't even know until like the day before or that day or whatever that I was going to win. So, yeah, basically yeah. my dad's a liar. <laughs> Very good. Say it here on the program. Um, yeah, some of the guys won't know until they get to the uh, get to the arena. Maybe it's like, well, we knew we were going to get there. We just didn't know what the finish was going to be. Um, now, I first met him when he was – because I used to uh, cover pro wrestling as a living and used to do a, 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 a pro wrestling radio show called Live Audio Wrestling. Loved it. Had such a great time. Had some really interesting uh, people along the way, many of which I, I still count as close friends. Um, I met him when he worked on the indies, and he is so funny. He did a, uh, a porn star gimmick. Like that was his character called Sexton Hardcastle. And, uh, it was, it was essentially what became Val Venus. And I remember saying to him, like, why didn't you ever take that to Vince because of, you know, Sean Morley who played Val Venus, like it was a money character and, you know, people loved it. He made a ton of dough doing the character. And he said, I was too embarrassed to take it to Vince McMahon. Like, Hey, this is my character on the Indies. Maybe I can do it here with your company. He, I guess he thought it was beneath Vince. Um, but as we've realized Maddie over the years, Nothing is beneath Vince McMahon. Nothing Not one thing. is beneath that guy. No, there are no depths to which he will not sink. Um, okay, a couple of games on the board. The, and good, By the way, Maddie, great job. And really glad you got a chance to do that. And uh, was only too happy to share it here for all of our listeners slash viewers. Um, a couple of really good games tonight, Maddie. I'm looking forward to the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Carolina Hurricanes. That one is early, 7 o'clock. There are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. I know people that follow the staggers uh, hate things like this, but 5, 7 o'clock starts here. Um, that one's a marquee matchup. Curious about the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Detroit Red Wings. 
this is the game in hand that the Pittsburgh Penguins have against the Florida Panthers, who squandered a huge chance to close the gap between themselves and the Penguins for that final wild card spot. Um, this is the game in hand for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Again, with the Pens, who knows? Sometimes they look like they could win the Stanley Cup. Other times they look like they you know, they don't belong anywhere close to the playoff picture. So we'll see which version of the Pittsburgh Penguins decides to show up tonight. Uh, but they could really do themselves a huge favor uh, by beating the Red Wings. Uh, also, a couple of good ones late. This is a must. We talked this about Elliot with, uh, with Elliot top of the show. This is a game that the Winnipeg Jets need to win, period. You cannot go into San Jose this late into March with the spot that you're in and not come back with two points. Winnipeg Jets and the San Jose Sharks, that one gets underway at 1030 Eastern. And then here's the the clash. It's the Edmonton Oilers who were given everything they could handle last night by the very plucky, hardworking Arizona Coyotes. Edmonton Oilers facing off against the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, That one should be excellent. Watch that one on Sportsnet 1 starting at 10 o'clock Eastern. Um, The Los Angeles Kings, who, by the way, just look so super legit right now. Now, Sunday night was an interesting one. Uh, We saw a goalie pull. For the uh, Joel Hofer gets pulled from the St. Louis Blues as the uh, as the Los Angeles Kings are dancing all over them, led by Victor Arvidsson and Adrian Kempe, both of whom scored two goals in that game. Uh, Blues made the comeback, but the Los Angeles Kings held on. Los Angeles is a fun team. If you haven't had a chance yet, do yourself the favor and check out the Los Angeles Kings. A really fun, exciting, quick-moving team. They'll face off against the Calgary Flames, the team that is full of question marks. That one, 9 o'clock Eastern on Sportsnet West. All right, a number of thank yous as always here on the program. Thanks to all of our guests, um, including Greg Wyshynski. So we did MVSW Wednesday on the Tuesday. Uh, Thanks to Greg from ESPN for stopping by as always. Thanks to Eric Engels from Sportsnet filling us in on the Habs and Elliot Friedman kicked it off as usual. Uh, Behind the scenes, the people that pull it together, Jen Rolnick, Lance Kennedy, and Matt Marchese. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, Maddie handles it tomorrow. Thursday we're off because of Blue Jays. Let's go. And then back on Friday. Got it? Good. Enjoy the hockey tonight. Ten games. Pick a few. Park it and enjoy.